2: The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. The government experiences technical difficulties. We're asking whether the NHS contact tracing app was doomed from the start. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. All eyes were on the Isle of Wight when it became the first part of the UK to trial a contact tracing app in mid-May. The smartphone app that uses Bluetooth to tell users whether they have come into contact with someone confirmed to have the virus was set to be part of the track and trace system originally mooted as the UK's way out of the lockdown. The Prime Minister pledged an unrivaled contact tracing system then intended to include both human traces and an app by three weeks ago
0: we will have a test, track and trace operation uh, that will be world beating, and yes, it will be in place, it will be in place by June the 1st.
2: The UK does have what the Health Secretary's repeatedly called an army of human contact tracers, but the app is still nowhere to be seen. And this week, the government performed an abrupt U turn on its contact tracing technology. The app it was developing with NHSX, the Health Services Research Wing, is now set to be replaced with an app built using technology developed by Apple and Google. But what's so different about Apple and Google's system? Is it the only way forward? And what can we learn from other countries' apps? To discuss it, I'm joined by Matt Field, who covers technology for The Telegraph, and Mike Wright, our social media correspondent. Matt, Mike, in this podcast, I turn my hand to all sorts of different subjects all the time, but I will level with you. This is one topic I find really complicated. Matt, you're not only a technology reporter, but you're a senior technology reporter. Please reassure me that even you find this story a little bit complicated.
0: Yes, I am. I am extremely confused by this. No one who is like, you know, not reading about this every day. I mean, it's no wonder people don't understand it because it's a very complicated subject.
2: (laughs) Mike, do you share our confusion? Um, Yes. No, he doesn't. (laughs) Well, I
1: I, I share Matt's point here. It's a very very dense and complicated system. And it's not just understanding sort of the technical, the very dense technical know-how about how... You know, operating systems work, and how the Bluetooth connections kind of interact with each other. You've also kind of got to become a part-time epidemiologist to kind of work mm. out, you know, how this factors in with the R number, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, it's an incredibly dense area, and uh, you can probably tell by the government's not always particularly clarion. Comms around this. Why the public may be somewhat confused and a bit looking slightly askance at the whole issue.
2: Okay, well, let's try and break it down, um, and let's start by talking about the differences between the NHS app and the Apple Google system. Matt, maybe you could enlighten us.
0: The fundamental difference is that the NHS app was going to process this contact tracing this contact tracing data on a central server while apple and google's uh, system processes uh, matches between contacts on the phones themselves now this might not sound like a big deal but to a company like apple this is a pretty big has pretty big privacy implications they don't want health authorities to be able to gather all this health data in one place where it could be used for other means uh, such as surveillance uh, now there's no indication that you know the nhs was planning to do the, or the government was planning to do things like that but what they were saying is they wanted to use this data for instance for um health research now you know it it it's sort of more up to people to interpret um whether they think that you know having the nhs having this data is is a bad thing but uh, that's the kind of the fundamental difference between how these two apps work so so the um the nhs works uh by processing this data centrally, and the Apple and Google app works by processing matches on the phones themselves. Mike, I think that's sort of the one of the main ones.
2: Let's clarify as well what we mean by the Apple-Google mm. system. I mean, Apple and Google haven't sat down together and said, hey, let's create a contact tracing app to save the world from coronavirus, yeah. have they?
0: Well, in, in a way, they, they have sat down together and, and, and come up with a system that will allow people to, to do just that. But they're relying on uh, local and uh, national health authorities to develop the apps themselves. So they're basically building like a, a framework or a skeleton, which then the, the health authorities will build their own apps on top of.
2: So six weeks ago, the NHS contact tracing app was launched in a trial on the Isle of Wight with, I think it's fair to say, uh, some fanfare. Uh, Matt Hancock was standing up in the daily press conference urging islanders to download it. They were told that it was their duty. And the team behind the app quickly declared success. They'd seen more than 55,000 downloads. That's around 60% of the population whose phones could actually download the app. But then it all went rather quiet. And then the app was dropped. So Mike, do we know what went wrong?
1: Yeah. So, so initially with the Isle of Wight test, as with Many kind of app kind of tests, there were teething problems at the beginning. So residents on the island were complaining that some of them were getting bombarded with notifications by the app. Also, some uh, Android users were saying that they couldn't get the app to work on their phone. Uh, NHSX, the digital wing of the NHS, uh, quickly kind of ironed out some of these early teething problems. But then it, it was kind of struck by more problems a few weeks later when they tried to update the symptoms uh, that the app was showing for COVID nineteen to include NHS guidance that it could also lead to a loss of smell and taste. Um, again, though, these were kind of these were problems, but these are problems that could have probably been sorted out in liter- later iterations and versions of the app which the NHS was developing. But what we learned yesterday was that the fatal blow, really, to the app was that they quickly learned in tests that it barely worked on iPhones. And this was because of the way Apple's operating system work. It kind of pushes the app into the background when it's not open, meaning that the app was kind of asleep and missing uh, upwards of 96% of contacts, which, you know, is a catastrophically a uh, high number of contacts to miss, So basically, essentially making the app redundant. Um, and the government is just, and that essentially was what convinced the government in the end to switch over to the Apple and Google model, uh, with the government and Matt Hancock, the health secretary, saying yesterday, essentially laying the blame at Apple's door, saying, well, it's because of these technical issues that Apple is unwilling to kind of change or resolve. Of course, we've been testing Google and Apple's product too. And as we did this, we found that it does not estimate distance well enough. Measuring distance, of course, is mission critical to any contact tracing app. So as it stands, our app won't work because Apple won't change their system, but it can measure distance. And their app can't measure distance well enough to a standard that we are satisfied with.
2: Apple did actually come back to Matt Hancock over those claims that their system can't detect distances accurately enough, saying that they saw no issue there. Um, They also said that the government hadn't actually asked to work together with them. But on the NHS app, isn't this something that we should have known earlier? There are plenty of other countries, Australia, Denmark, Italy, they've all ditched their centralised apps in favour of the decentralised one supported by Apple and Google. We're not the first country to, to have come across this problem.
0: I, I, I think the short answer is, yes, we knew about it a long time ago, but Mike, you can elaborate.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. I think, I think a, a good sort of parallel here would be Germany, um, which started, as the NHS did, building its own app. But then in, in late April, they ran into this same, pretty much the exact same problem with the Apple uh, using Bluetooth on Apple phones, um, and that caused them to change tack then and there and switch over to the Apple and Google model. And Google, uh, sorry, Germany released their app on Tuesday, and I think in the first day had six point five million downloads. So, wow, you know, there is a question, you know. Uh, f- over the government as to why they persisted so long with a technical issue that other com- countries have run into and found insurmountable.
0: Matt. And, and France have had the same issue as well. And they, for a long time, were trying to sort of, uh, you know, demand Apple makes changes to how its so- software works. Uh, they clearly, you know, the US tech giant was not going to do that.
2: Yes, I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried calling Apple's customer service, that doesn't bode well for France. <laughs> um, I suppose the real failure here is that we didn't look up, as it were.
0: Well, I was going to say, and it seems like internally, there were some divisions between maybe some of the technical folks who believed that you know we could come to a solution to this, uh, and the politicians who maybe eventually lost faith in them. I think it's also important to note that even with the Apple and Google system, we're still not sure this technology is actually ever going to work properly. There's a lot of technologists who are extremely skeptical that Bluetooth can be used effectively to measure distance. There's a study out today, which suggests that even the Apple and Google system might be missing huge numbers of potential contacts. So I think, um, you know, the government has clearly missed a step here. But I think we've got to be careful before kind of claiming that Apple and Google are going to come up with a magic bullet that, that we failed to because I think there's a lot of technical problems that are, that are going to be quite difficult to solve.
2: Do we have any idea about how much this has cost us uh, along the way? And as you say, we, we haven't found the solution yet, but the development of an app, this app so far has taken months. Uh, we haven't found a perfect solution. Obviously, that means NHS resources, plus private companies contracted to help build the system. I mean, we were first talking about this app publicly in mid-March. That That's a while. Do we have any idea about the cost for the government?
1: Well, the government, unsurprisingly, have not been hugely forthcoming when they've been pressed on exactly how much has been spent. You shock me. Yeah, I know, I know how much has been spent on the now redundant um, NHS COVID-19 app. However, analysis done for The Telegraph by public sector analysts Tussle uh, shows that around £8.5 million worth of contracts have been awarded by the NHS to private developers and private companies to help develop the contact tracing app and contact tracing um, technology in general. So it's not an insubstantial, I think from that we can surmise, it's not an insubstantial sum that's been spent uh, on this aborted project so far.
2: Clearly, there is no desire to spend more money than we need to, or indeed more time than we need to um, in trying to find an app, particularly when we're told that it is the cherry on top of leaving the lockdown. Mike, have they been any more transparent about the timeline that they're working to, and when we might actually see an app that works?
1: Again, there's been um, there's been quite quite a telling uh, silence on this. We did get uh, earlier this week on Tuesday. Lord Bethel, the junior health minister, was up in front of MPs answering questions, and he was pressed on when will we see uh, the app and he said, that, apps around the world have been challenging. And I note that the Norwegians and the Singaporeans, uh, the French and others have all been um, working on their app uh, releases. Um, and um, we're seeking to get something going for the winter. Which is, is quite a delay from the original target set by Health Secretary Matt Hancock, which was mid-May. What we were hearing yesterday as well uh, is that, um, as well as having to now kind of build the app pretty much uh, from scratch now with Apple and Google, as Matt was saying, it's a skeleton they've got. They have to kind of flesh out and build a new kind of NHS app on top of that. And Matt Hancock was saying yesterday that one of the things he wants to do is find a way to kind of take the, the, the positives from the NHS app, such as it was much more accurate at measuring how far apart people were when they had contact, and sort of integrate that into the Apple and Google system. So it sounds like they've got a fair amount of work to do. But one thing that was... Uh, We were sort of hearing yesterday, which is, is quite a stunning kind of admission from the government, is that they could eventually just release the app without any Bluetooth contact tracing component to it. Just ditch that whole part if it gets too difficult. And as Matt was saying, if it just even with the Apple and Google version, if it's not accurate enough, if it's not doing the job, they could just junk that whole section of the app and just have it as what they're calling a companion app. To the contact tracing system, where that would be an app that just gives you information about symptoms um, and shows you, tells you where you can get a test if you are, if you do think you may have COVID 19 symptoms.
2: Would they still call it a contact tracing app? It doesn't involve much contact tracing.
1: Well, they've quite cleverly named the app. Uh, the, The NHS app was called just at the NHS COVID-19 app so they've given themselves oh. some branding wiggle room there should they decide to completely change the core function of the app <laughs> oh,
2: that's that's astounding I mean it's it's an app sure it's not Yeah. But let's talk about privacy because that is a really important issue here and something that we haven't spoken about. There have been concerns all along about the privacy implications of entering your data into any of these app systems. And there was a time when we thought that privacy issues might be the stumbling block in the NHS app. If we do end up with the Apple Google system, that one's seen as more private, isn't it, Matt?
0: I guess with privacy, you know, it's quite, uh, it's quite, it can be quite an abstract Topic, But the, the, the kind of the big fear of privacy advocates is that the way the NHS w- was planning to gather this data was that it would all be in like a centralized um, data store. Now, all of that data would be anonymous, but their kind of fear was that, you know, either you could find ways to um, de-anonymize this data or it could be used, you know, stored for years for, for up to 20 years uh, Their kind of big fears, and, and and Apple is a company that is you know hugely ob- obsessed over privacy, at least when it suits it. Was that you know th- this could lead to mission creep? The the kind of then the logic is that you know if this data is stored on phones and it never leaves the phones, you you then have a much more private system. I suppose you know it's up for debate whether one believes that Apple was was is doing this because. Um, you know, it believes so stringently in the in the privacy aspects or or if it might be something else.
1: Just um, sort of two kind of points just to complement what, what um, Matt's very good summation there, um, but maybe to get the perspective kind of from the NHS or the government side at the beginning. And what they said is it wouldn't be fully invasive kind of data about people. They were going to anonymize it. And the main thing that you'd be handing over would be your postcode. So what they would see essentially was, this person has symptoms, they have tested positive, and this is roughly where they are. And what the NHS was saying was that data could be invaluable. And especially if you go back and think about the perspective of um, the government in February and March, when a lot of these key decisions were being made where we didn't know much about COVID, we didn't know how it was spreading, um, there, was a real, there was a real value seen in having a database that could tell you sort of minute by minute how and where this virus is spreading. Um, and what they were envisioning was that after the full lockdown, um, that this data would then help the government kind of impose mini lockdowns, mini localised lockdowns to avoid shutting down the entire country with all the sort of catastrophic economic consequences that that entails. And the kind of the arguments that were being made at the time was that, you know, the NHS already has a lot of your medical records, has a lot of very sensitive medical data. We're not asking for a lot more. And this anonymized data could play a vital role in kind of helping the country combat uh, coronavirus and the spread of coronavirus, but also helping the NHS understand how it spreads. So there was kind of an argument to be made. But I think one of the fears that one of the things that kind of um, fueled fears as we went along is the government weren't weren't entirely forthcoming about exactly how the data would be handled, some of the security questions about it. And then as we found out, uh, couple of weeks ago, you know, some of this data they were planning to hold for up to 20 years. So there were big questions that, that were hanging over this data, uh, how it would be used and how it would be stored and protected, uh, especially if it's going to be held for decades, essentially.
2: Mike, you told us at the start of this episode that in order to work out quite how useful an app like this would be for the UK, you have to become a part-time epidemiologist. So with your part-time epidemiologist hat on, if we crack it how useful is it likely to be
1: yes i think what's important is to understand the context epidemiologically around this app it hasn't been made in a vacuum it's not not just a bunch of developers sat you know in an office in nhs in the nhs somewhere trying to create this app as the epidemiology as the science around coronavirus has shifted that has also influenced the deci- decisions being made around the app and i think at the beginning you know we were in the peak it was a Frankly, quite a terrifying time for the nation. We did not know a lot about this virus. And so um, a lot of what informed the app was this idea that it could A play, it could play a really key role because you know, because of the speed at which coronavirus spreads in breaking that transmission. And it could be one of those kind of marginal gains. It was never mooted as a silver bullet, but it could have been a vital tool. Mm. I think now we've learned more about the way coronavirus spreads. So one one key thing that's probably having an impact, I would say, is that we're learning far more people are probably spreading the disease asymptomatically. And if they're not showing symptoms, that does reduce how effective contact tracing can be because without symptoms and positive tests, you you don't have the the starting point for a contact tracing system. And so when the government has said that it's moved from being, the app is moved from being the cake, as it were, they seem to be quite (laughs) enamored with baking metaphors and it's now, it went from the cake to the icing on the cake and now it's the cherry on the the icing on the cake. Um, I think what they're saying is that as well as the technical problems with the app, the epidemiological landscape has shifted. And so it is seen as less important compared to your normal human, you know, hammering the phone's type contact tracing.
2: The rest of the coronavirus latest news. The UK's COVID-19 alert level is to be downgraded from four to three, meaning transmission is no longer high or rising exponentially. This means the epidemic's in general circulation, but experts are warning it isn't over yet. Health Secretary Matt Hancock described it as a big moment for the country. The governments promised schools will open to all children in September. Education Secretary Gavin Williamson said signs the virus was receding meant ministers could look at making sure every child returns to school. It could see current classroom bubble sizes expand so groups of more than 15 children could interact at any one time. Britons could enjoy overseas holidays without having to quarantine on return from the 4th of July. Boris Johnson's expected to announce that agreements have been made for so called air bridges with a small number of countries with low levels of the virus. People could only travel with members of their household or support bubble unless social distancing rules are eased before July. Government sources told The Telegraph the list of countries is likely to include France, Spain, Greece, and Portugal. To read more on any of those stories, click on the links in the show notes to this episode. And if you're not already a Telegraph subscriber, listeners can get 30 days completely free at telegraph.co.uk slash audio. If you want to get in touch, you can email coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk or you can find me on Twitter. It's at T underscore If you've been enjoying these podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you could channel your, your weekend good mood into writing a short review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find out about the show and it really helps me know I'm spending my days wisely. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis.